This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. I'm going to let your voice be heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz here with Alyssa Fuchs, Selena Hill, and Jackie Chris- Christopher Columbus Cohen. Oh, <laughs> that is so mean. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry, I had to drop that Christmas. It's just because I moved to Brooklyn. Stanley is. You have Christopher nice. Columbus syndrome. They just show up and they find things. It's such a steal. You ever had a chopped cheese, Jackie? No, I'm kidding with you. So I was born in the Bronx, Stanley. Leave me alone. I've had you? chopped cheese. I was. We're, we're po- Bronx. We chopped let's cheese comes let's from move Harlem. on. <laughs> let's move on. Becky with the steal deal. Yeah. No, no. So, yeah. guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And if you were just tuning in, we are getting ready to have a conversation about the Democratic National Convention. And at this convention, we saw people who tried to pander to entire groups by just throwing in random words that were not English, escuela. We had someone come in and spend 30 minutes just talking about how he got to go out on a date with some woman with really thick glasses. We had a black guy show up and people were happy to see him. It was amazing. We had a black woman talk about slavery, but in a good way. Can you talk about slavery in a good way? And if, if you're you, Michelle, you can. And yeah. if you ask Bill O'Reilly, he will tell you the slaves were always well fed because well-fed slaves are the only way to go when you're trying to save america right bill o'reilly i don't know what a well-fed slave is you can tell me later billy (laughs) and on top of that we had an old jewish guy born in brooklyn who grew up in vermont and lived in vermont and governed in vermont and didn't pass too many bills say that his vision for america was the way to go and everyone said yes except for the crowds of white people crying into the stands and the white people crying in williamsburg and the white people crying in bushwick and the white people crying in the new bedside and the new harlem those white tears shed all across oh my god don't ever say that (laughs) those white tears spilled upon the ground and every place a tear touched a black or Spanish person could not pay their rent because it went up too high and now we are here this Sunday to recap this entire week of events that was finally culminated by a woman who was overqualified for the job being questioned as to why she is applying for the job in the first place (laughs) and Hillary Clinton is going to be running for president against a walking spicy Cheeto known as Donald possible rapist trump so guys dnc was such a blast don't you think yeah definitely it was way better than that other circus you mean the one that made me and my friend Brittany kill an entire bottle of whiskey then walk to the gas station to buy more alcohol because we were so depressed wow yes that that's that it definitely was better than that but seriously guys how much harder could it be so before we go into the nitty-gritty of the conversation i just want like just a basic overview like what you thought about the dnc like um i guess the simplest question could be like how did you feel afterward um, afterward, I, there were so many high points for me, like, you know, Michelle Obama's speech, definitely a high point, Mothers of the Movement, highs, and I think that was all on, like, well, Monday and then Tuesday, right? Mm. And then afterward, I was a little disappointed, I'm not gonna lie, after I heard Hillary Clinton's speech, because I was upset that she didn't say, like, Black Lives Matter, yeah. or, like, or really, <laughs> right, yeah, or, or really, like, paint a picture, like, if we think about what's going on in our country right now, like, like ter- our communities are at war, right? You have, like, communities of color, and you have cops, cops feel petrified walking through these communities. And it, I mean, black people have always felt terrified around, you know, police officers. And I feel like there's a growing tension um, under the surface that has actually surfaced to mainstream. And, and everyone's pretty much aware of it. And I think that to not really address that head on and to at least say something that would, you know, solidify your stance with the movement. Like right. if she would have said Black Lives Matter and we're going to address these policing issues and, you know, and, and say something a little more in depth, then I would have appreciated. 
hated so it. So I felt the same way. I thought that there was a glaring hole in Hillary's speech about where Black Lives Matter was missing, right? She talked about the cops that were slain in um, Texas, and uh, she talked about... Um, she also referenced a conversation that she had had with Black Lives Matter activists. Remember, like, what was it, a year ago already, where um, they talked to her backstage after one of her media events, and she said, famously now, you know, you don't change hearts, you change laws, right? And during her speech at the DNC, she said, I've learned that you change hearts and laws, right? So clearly she was referencing this conversation, but she did not say Black Lives Matter and did not reference this movement specifically, which I, I felt was a glaring hole in her speech. Yeah, I mean, but you're holding her to a standard that you're not even holding the president to because he didn't say black lives matter either right just to play devil's advocate i mean i agree with you guys in principle but you know like the uh the president referenced the movement but he didn't say the phrase right so it's like let's but i mean i can't i get but it she, she he's but she he's not running say for president. what she said referencing the movement she said it referencing you know all policies that she wants to enact right but she wasn't specific whereas the president has specifically referenced the movement maybe didn't say black lives matter but has talked about the movement she did not and she needs to if, you know i mean i don't know how you get away with not making this a priority well, I do. I know exactly how, because as usual, the Democrats are going after the extinct Ronald Reagan Democrat. And what is a Ronald Reagan Democrat? It's the white guy who boots moderate sometimes probably hates black people anyway, so I don't care about them. So in order to make sure they're going to secure that vote, they want to make sure that they're acknowledging black people just enough that we notice it's happening, but not too much that it offends the white guy. Look, you know, and, and, and to that point, they just did polling in Ohio, right? And they specifically, you know how much of the black vote Donald Trump is is getting in Ohio? Zero percent. Zero percent. And you may think that Reagan Democrats don't exist, but I don't think that's who she's looking for. She's not looking for the Reagan Democrats. She's looking for the Republicans that are never Trump, Republicans that are moderate, and Republicans that are middle of the road. Yes, white people that don't necessarily care about Black Lives Matter. Uh, Agreed on that. But I don't think it's Reagan Democrats. she did have a Reagan speechwriter speak at the DNC talk, and, you know, asking for Reagan Republicans to vote. But Republicans, for- right. That's my point. It's not Reagan Democrats. Right, sure. It's it's Repu- Reagan right. Republicans. That that That's exactly what I'm saying. Right. But in, and it also shows that, you know, I'm glad that you gave that statistics about how black people are not supporting Donald Trump, because I feel like Democrats and the establishment for a long time have taken the black vote for granted. They don't have to pander to us that much because she already has what 94 percent of us. So it's like I don't need to say black lives matter. You guys are going to vote for me anyway. And right. that's frustrating, yes. especially at a time like this. Well, so. This is kind of a good conversation. I'm going to go with it just for a little bit, but I do want to get us back on track. So let's just kind of put a pin to this conversation for one second. So do you think the strategy of reaching out to these moderate Republicans, quote unquote, is going to be successful for Hillary? Because if we're looking at the polls, well, the polls fluctuate, as we all know, but she's pretty close with Trump right now. I'll start with Alyssa. Uh, yeah, no, I think so. And I actually think, well, she's starting to get a convention convention bounce yeah. and she's starting to actually pull away from him. We'll see if she can sustain that. Um, but, you know, be very wary, one, of polls these days and especially of national polls, because at the end of the Preach. day, you really got to look at the swing state polls. It's not about what she's doing nationally. It's about what is she doing in Ohio in a four-way race, right? I also don't care about Trump versus Clinton polls because it's not Trump versus Clinton. In theory, it's a four-way race. There's going to be four people on the ballot in 37 states. I believe Gary Johnson's on the ballot in all 50 states, and I believe Jill Stein's on the ballot in 37 states. Mm So, you know, what I'm really looking at is the swing state polling numbers on the four-way race. And right now, it looks like she's getting a bounce and she's going to pull ahead. I think the big thing is for her not to become complacent, right? And to keep on it because this is one of those situations where the 
you know, the bigger the lead, the better, yeah. right? And you got to keep that lead growing and growing and growing. You can't just say, oh, well, we're leading by seven points and that's bigger than the margin of error. So, you know, we're going to stop working at this. Like, I think this is going to be one of those things where they're going to have to keep working at it right up until Election Day. So, Alyssa, thank, first of all, uh, this is why I missed you last week. Mm-hmm. But um, secondly, I was talking to my, my, my executive director last week after the, the our RNC speech. We were kind of like both like, like crying to each other about the Trump speech and she says even like two weeks before the the election of Carter and Reagan Carter had a pretty sizable lead and no one thought Reagan was going to win and she says it feels eerily similar so you brought some peace to my heart by saying that but I'm still nervous because I keep thinking about when she said that to me the other day so let's move on to Jackie go ahead now so the original question was what? Do we think that she'll what? be able to convince Republicans? Yeah. 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 Right. I think that not, you know, staunch conservative Republicans. And mm-hmm. obviously Trump has has a very mobilized base. But I do think and that was why we saw Mike Bloomberg and we saw uh, several Republican speakers yeah. get up at the DNC and and claim their support to or pledge their support to Hillary. I think that made it OK for more moderate um, or more left leaning Republicans to get in line with her. Yeah. Selena? Yeah, pretty much. No, I mean, I, pr- I pretty much agree with what uh, uh, Jackie and Alyssa have already said. I mean, it's I understand the strategy. It's just sad that um, when it comes to courting these type of voters, you can't use like certain phrases like Black Lives Matter because they'll feel alienated. And I'm like, so who right. are those voters? I think that's a really fair point. Yeah, I think it's too. a good point. I will say this is one thing that I've noticed and because I never answered your original question yeah. is the GOP used to be the party of the big tent, right? They were all <laughs> about let's be the big tent. Like we the understand big, that there's different are. factions within conservatism. There's people that are more moderate and there's people who more are racist. more conservative on social issues, but more liberal. You know, like you know, and, and X and Y and Z. And so People Republicans always wanted to be the party of the big tent. And I think what you're seeing right now is that Republicans are no longer the party of the big tent. They are the party of a very, very small tent. And it's the racist, xenophobic tent that people who would vote for Donald Trump are in. And the Democrats are now flipping that. Absolutely. And they're saying, we're going to be the party of the big tent. Our party is big enough for somebody who's a moderate and who's a business owner like Mike Bloomberg or Mark Cuban, who came out and endorsed her yesterday. And we can include LGBT people and black people and union people. And we can include moderate Republicans. And, you know, and so now I think that's really what you saw at the convention is that Republicans no longer have a lock on the big tent. They no longer have a lock on patriotism. Mm-hmm. They no longer have a lock on religious freedom. We saw that in the Kamir, uh, Kazan, Khan, sorry, Kazir Khan speech, which I know we're going to get to talking about. So I think that's really what we have to look at, which is, is the Democrats saying, you know what, we're going to be the big tent. We are big enough to include you and you and you and you. And maybe everybody has slightly different perspectives on policy, Mm -hmm. but we can find a way to take your ideas and take Jackie's ideas and take Alyssa's ideas and put them all together and get on that train to San Francisco, even though it's going a little slower. And I'm going to come back to the train metaphor in a minute. Um, Trains are for socialists. But, (laughs) you know, at the end of the day, and I said this on Friday, which is if you remember at the correspondence dinner when the president was talking and he said it's steak or fish, right? Yeah. You can right. order the chicken, but when dinner is served, they're not bringing you the chicken. They're still bringing out the steak or the fish. That's right. So, but if you know, if you live in a swing state, I would hope that you would vote for the train that's going at least slightly in the direction you want to go. But if you don't, and if you don't, I understand a protest vote. But nonetheless, just keep in mind that it doesn't matter if you vote for the chicken. They're not bringing out the chicken in November. Pretty much. I want the big chicken. So, guys, I do want to switch gears just a little bit, but I like the way you kind of pos- you posited this for me, Alyssa, because you talked about it's either steak or fish. 
Some people are saying, I don't want stinker fish. Give me rubbing alcohol. <laughs> and I would call those folk the Bernie Bros. And the Bernie Bros were live and in effect, especially on day one of the convention. So just a couple of things. I have a lot of friends who were Bernie and Busters and were also delegates. And they raised money so they can go to Philadelphia and they could say, hey, even though Bernie lost at least 37 states. No, he didn't lose that many states. But even though Bernie lost in states by a lot, even though he got blown out in California, even though she's always had the lead, we don't think that she won fairly. And then they were empowered even more when DNC's emails were leaked and there were seven emails where people were like, hey, maybe we can bring out the fact that he's an atheist. But then nothing, and then, sorry, I'm not, I'm not even going to slander this one. They said, hey, they, they, they talked about using his religion or lack of religion against them. They laughed at him and made fun of his campaign. And, like, there was, like, some very clear disgust or disdain for Bernie Sanders. And we can talk about, like, that, that emo portion later. But it empowered a lot of Bernie bros. And even for me, it made me say, well, Debbie Wasserman Schultz has to go. Yeah. Because it was totally inappropriate. Gone. Yeah. And she's gone. And she's gone. So then but Debbie left. She's gone. Pretty much everything Bernie won is in the Democratic platform, but on day one, Bernie bros were booing everybody. And that was their day. And that was their day. That's why Elizabeth Warren spoke on the first day, and Bernie spoke on the first day. And most of the most liberal members of the party spoke on day one, because that was a plea to those people. But here's the fact of the matter. When it comes down to it, and you look at the numbers, right now, something like 90% of people who voted for Bernie are going to vote for Hillary. So the people, (laughs) it's one of these situations where the people who yell the loudest are the ones that you think are the largest group, when in reality, they aren't the largest group. You know what? I said this earlier, and I scared you guys all before we went on the air because I slammed the table. (laughs) But I said, you know, what bothers me the most about this is this idea of trusting Bernie. Like, these, if you say you trust Bernie, and Bernie says, well, if you trust me, then I'm telling you, trust me, vote for Hillary Clinton. And then you say, no, I'm not going to do that. Then what you're saying is, I don't trust Bernie. Yeah. So you can you can say, I trust Bernie all I want. But in reality, you're either lying or you don't actually trust Bernie. Because these are two things that cannot operate in the same right. space. One second, Selena, because I want to point out something because of what Alyssa said. I was hearing so many people constantly saying, it's bigger than Bernie. So I said, oh, okay, great. Then what should happen? We should elect Bernie. <laughs> but Bernie is saying... Hillary is the one to vote for. So, Jackie, I see your hand. I want to get you, but Selena had something to say. Oh, no, if if it's about electing Bernie, then. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I I don't think it's dumb for people to to air their frustrations. I think that's absolutely, that's inherently American and Democratic, right? So if people want to boo, I mean, I know that Barack Obama said about Trump, but he said, don't boo, vote, right? And I think that... Don't boo, drink. (laughs) Drink. I think that to to air your grievances and to show your frustrations in a system that clearly, I mean, these emails were leaked, that's a big problem, and I think that people have the right to be upset. Um, But I think, you know, as far as Bernie goes, I heard someone make this great comparison, um, Bernie versus Obama, earlier on in the campaign season, saying, you know, Bernie is the face of a movement that exists with or without him, right? He is the voice of this movement. Obama, on the other hand, was a movement, right? He was a movement in and of himself. It could not have existed without him. But all this momentum that Bernie Sanders supporters have have gained will continue to live on. Like, I really believe that with or without him as the face of it. I think that there's this huge liberal movement growing in this country, and he doesn't necessarily need to be the face of it. I think that, you know, he's not just the fearless leader. But Jill Stein's not going to be the face of it either. Well, I mean, well... I don't. The thing is, I, when it comes to like the the movement, I feel like if there's no like clear lineage of structure or you know what happened to like you know Occupy Wall Street, like things do 
they come and go. Good like, point. trends come and go. But I don't but think I, that I, but a trend. I don't think that Occupy Wall Street just went. I think that, I mean, think about... I don't think that the support We're behind Bernie talking. could have existed without Occupy Wall Street, without Black Lives Matter. So you're saying it evolved? Yeah, it, it grows and it snowballs and it gains momentum. That's what happens, right? Is that a movement grows and maybe it seems like maybe they lose the battle, but ultimately work towards Won't a greater the... war, right? Where they're gaining momentum and supporters and people are getting woke all over the place and they're, you know, joining up. Well, I'll I'll say this about the Bernie bro- Bros and the booing. So um, I mean, just, and well, well, here's the thing. So. Even though there was, like, a lot of emphasis on the Bernie bros booing, like, a lot of different people, I've actually heard other media reports that were saying the media was sensationalizing that part and that there was, like, a, a select group of, like, white men who were booing really loudly, but it wasn't that prominent. So I right. think that they were just blowing it up. And no, I'll say this, I Sarah... I at the convention. They were... They were so was it, it might have been the section you were sitting in. No, like, I have a lot of friends who were there, like, it's, like... I have a lot of political friends as well, so I have people from WFP who were so there. So they said it was really bad. Like it was, yeah, it was like they were booing civil rights leaders. Um, I have Ugh. one friend who Ralph Abernathy's daughter came up to her and like pretty much read her the riot act because she said she's like betraying black women by like. It's, it was crazy. Like, it was... Well, yeah. I think Sarah Silverman did a really good job. And I know that her statement was really controversial. She got a lot of pushback when she said, you know, burn your bus. You guys are ridiculous. And I feel like her expressing that sentiment, especially, like, the, that's the feeling that a lot of Hillary supporters feel. Like, you guys are being ridiculous. If you don't vote, it's a vote for Trump, especially in a swing state. And I think that she was... Uh, it was a good way for her to just come out and just tell them, guys, you know, let's just... Let's make sure we're voting for the, well, the better group... I mean, She's a huge Bernie fan, but also it's because like she's not a politician, right? Because she's a celebrity. She's a comedian. She wants without the kind of blowback, political blowback that a politician would have. Yeah. So, guys, we do have to go on a quick break. This song is dedicated to the Bernie bros who were booing people that day. When we come back, Mm -hmm. we'll be talking about Michelle Obama's speech and Elizabeth Warren's speech. is the story of this country, the story that has brought me to this stage tonight, the story of generations of people who felt the lash of bondage, the shame of servitude, the sting of segregation, but who kept on striving and hoping and doing what needed to be done so that today I wake up every morning in a house that was built by slaves. You remember that time when Chris Paul threw um, that D'Angelo Jordan uh, alley and D'Angelo Jordan dunked I have no on, idea what you're talking about. Well, anyways, you're talking about. a guy got dunked on really hard, and it was so crazy, everyone in the crowd jumped out of their seats. And that's what just happened when Michelle Obama made that slave reference. But, no, uh, but you cut off right the second here. part. She the- made that that reference right here at City College during yes. her commencement speech where she talked about how she w- uh, wakes up in a house that was built by slaves every morning and sends her two black daughters off to school you know whose father is the president of the united states and Mm -hmm. she thinks about our country and how far we've come and how you know how far we still have to go she can we just elect her listen the the part of the clip that you didn't play Mm -hmm. is the part that comes after that and i know we're limited for time so you should definitely go watch the whole speech if you have time but the part that she says after that is i watch my daughters every day playing out on the white house lawn with the two dogs that was the comparison and the contrast to we live in a house that was once built by people that i may be descendant of in some way in in that they were slaves but now my daughters play on the front lawn openly with their dogs because my 
husband is the president. I think that was the important contrast part of that. That part of the speech was so, so powerful. It brought tears to my eyes. Like, it riveted through my soul. And it was something that needed to be said. And I don't think something like that was ever said at a Democratic convention or in front of an audience of that magnitude. And... I just want to say I appreciate Michelle Obama for acknowledging herself as, you know, a black woman and saying that, you know, we are descendants of slaves. This country is not that great. To me, that was like the underlying sentiment. It's like, yeah, we're, you know, yeah, everyone, you know, we appreciate America and we all love being here and love being Americans. But let's not forget what this the foundation of our country It's built on white supremacy. It's built on racism, imperialism. It's built on the backs of yeah. slaves. And I think that the pushback that she was getting. I could not stand it. Now, Stanley referenced it in the beginning of the show when you were talking about about Bill O'Reilly, who was like, well, if we think about the slaves in the White House, they were well-fed and taken care of. You know who else was well-fed and taken care of? Their horses, their their cows, their cattle. I mean, we cannot forget that slaves were owned just like everything else that the white slave uh, owners owned. Well, what Michelle Obama did was something that no politicians ever do, which is that she she talked about our country being built by slaves rather than being founded by our founding fathers, right? Where everybody talks about our founding fathers and the vision that they had for America, um, which is, you know, the typical, I mean, even Hillary did that in her speech, right? But what Michelle Obama did was remind us, actually, our country was literally built by slaves and on the backs of slaves. And that's something that we cannot forget. We can't just edit out of our history that is so inherent to who we are as Americans. And we need to remember that. Two things. One, I I disagree on your reading of it because I don't think that she was saying our country isn't great or wasn't great or hasn't been great for other for for us. I actually read that as her saying, "Look at what a great country we live in." Unlike Donald Trump who keeps saying we need to make America great again, look at this great country where we live in where my descendants could have been slaves and now I live in the White House. That's what makes this a great country. Yeah. That how that's I, how, that's I, how I, read I read it, not the way that you stated it, which is that she was claiming that the country hasn't always been great, but look at this. I actually think she was implying that the country is great because of the experience and the journey she made from slavery to the White House. But that aside, I think the most important portion or the most the most important underlying theme of Michelle's speech wasn't that it was this idea that. We have to look at this election is about our children and it's about the kind of world we need to leave to our children or want to leave to our children. Do we want to leave them a world where Donald Trump is the president and where the people who support and agree with the types of policies and feelings that Donald Trump espouses are the type of people that are prominent in our politics? Or do we want to leave our children with a better world where somebody like Hillary Clinton, even if we don't agree with everything that she says or all of her policies, we know that she will be she will help us to leave a better world for our children. That's what I thought was mo- the biggest takeaway from that speech. Mm-hmm. So, guys, if you're listening and you want to jump into the conversation, the number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. If you're on Facebook, Political Preposterous is always up. Make sure you leave a comment for Alyssa, and we'll try to read it if we have some time. So just to keep the conversation going... 
I want to switch gears now and talk about Elizabeth Warren's speech. And unfortunately, I don't have a clip in that speech. But um, honestly, it wasn't one of my favorite speeches. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's worth too much of a mention, honestly. It was good. I think the crowd booed her at one point. Um, She stayed on message. I appreciated it. I always appreciate Elizabeth Warren speaking. But I was really baffled as why. Wasn't she like the last speaker (laughs) of the night? She went on like before Bernie. Second to last. Bernie was the last speaker. Well, Bernie was the last speaker. But I was just like, I I think that it... I get why they saved her to you know second to last, she, but she's really good. I mean, she. I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe I she's off the like ball. She had an off night because yeah. I've seen her at a bunch of rallies where she skewered Trump, and she's yeah. been amazing. I don't know, or maybe it was just like the way it played. It just didn't play as well. But I yeah. agree. I actually liked some of the things, and I, I say this with full thing, fully uh, like preempting by saying like I don't really like Michael Bromberg. I. Don't, no. I think there's been a lot of issues in New York City from some of yeah. his policies. Yeah. However, I thought he had a lot of really good lines. And going back to what we were talking about earlier with the big tent and trying to pull in people from the moderate side mm-hmm. um, from that flank. I mean, I think Michael Bloomberg did a better job of pulling the moderates in than Elizabeth Warren did of pulling the left in, to yeah. be honest. Right. Uh, yeah, good point. And we got to give Michael Bloomberg props for his speech at the DNC. But now that we've given him his props, let us be very clear. Michael Bloomberg was a trash mayor for poor people, people of of color, African Americans, anyone who practices the religion of Islam, or anyone who doesn't like getting hit over the head by the NYPD for doing nothing at all. And Michael Bloomberg also pushed stop and frisk as hard as he could, and he will forever be problematic. So Michael Bloomberg, kick rocks and don't come back. <laughs> now, moving on, because we don't want to talk about that piece of crap of a mayor anymore. Let's go to day two. <laughs> how do you two. really feel about Michael Bloomberg? <laughs> you know, guys, I never thought about it much. Yeah. <laughs> but you like him, but, right? But the contrast, you know, that's, that's all fine, and I agree yeah. with all that, but the contrast he provided between... Yeah himself as a successful businessman who entered politics, uh, regardless if you disagree with his politics, and Trump as a supposedly successful businessman, you know, Michael Bloomberg's never declared bankruptcy, let alone five times, you know? I mean, so that was, was, I think, the important contrast that was being drawn. Listen, he was a garbage mayor and probably a garbage person if you're not white, but he didn't, (laughs) like, he's very, he has not filed for bankruptcy, he knows how to count, he can think critically, and he clearly knows how to run I mean, a business. The best line in his speech, aside from the stuff where he was trying to compare, he said if that's, he, you know, he said he, basically he had a line about how if that's how he wants the country, he wants to run his country like he wants to run uh, his businesses, that should scare us all. But the best line was in the night was, I'm a New Yorker and we know a con when we see one. Yeah. Ooh, get him. Wow. Love it. I for him three times then. Anyway, guys, <laughs> day three. I want to move on to date. Oh, sorry, pardon me. Day two, which is Mothers of the Movement, which is probably oh one my of my goodness. favorite moments. Yes, yes. Um, well, but that wasn't even one of his best speeches. I, I still liked it, but it wasn't. I thought his 2012 speech was better. Um. Arithmetic, but Mothers of the Movement. Yeah. Selena, I'll let you talk about that because I know like that that was really a big piece for you. I was shedding tears. First of all, when the mother of Sandra Bland came on there and was like, "Woo!" I just, um, she was like, "Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus." I was like, "Is she preaching a sermon?" And I thought that that was so much needed to definitely pull in black people. The black church is very much a part of our community, and for her to speak to um, the religious left, especially those of color, I thought it was important because a lot of people look at Democrats as like anti-Christian or anti-religious and very secular and they were saying and there were a lot of points throughout the entire convention where they mentioned religion they had different prayers and they were saying that we still are a nation that believes like we're under one god etc etc and that's important to that base but i will say that for the 
overall, when those mothers came up there and provided so much visibility when it comes to the pain, frustration, and frankly, torture that people of color endure in this country because of uh, police brutality, gun violence, uh, and, and just different things that plague and oppress our community. Um, I was very proud of them, what they said. They're, I was happy that they were featured speakers, yes. and I was also happy of the message that they really, really conveyed. I mean, that's the point that I was trying to make before, which is Hillary might not have said Black Lives Matter, but you weren't seeing those women at the Republican National Convention. You I know? mean, obviously, right. Like, of course. You are right, but I do think that she could have made it more. I mean, she, she made so many specific references to yes, other important social movements in this country and really did not, in her own speech, pay it, I think, the credence that it deserved. No, no, I totally agree. I mean, that's my opinion, and, right. and we can Listen, disagree. Like she, she spoke to you know, he, you can you heard her pander to the LGBT community, to the Islamic community, but I didn't really hear enough that said, Selena, I want you to vote. Well, I, no, I, that doesn't I, that doesn't justify this, it for this, me. You're supposed we, we, to be I, a joke. You're supposed I, to laugh. I, 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 wanna, I, wanna <laughs> I want to move us along, but here's a no, couple of I things that, that you guys are not gonna like. So one, she's got the black vote in the bag, and two, black voter mobilization is not that strong. So those dreamers can get can get that shout out in the first hundred days because you have people who are actively lobbying and voting and and the LGBT community same thing they're actively lobbying and voting the black community the organizations that that you should do that don't do that anymore the NAACP they're, they're doing lawsuits obviously but the like National Urban League um, National Action Network they are not lobbying and getting people out to vote in big droves in the way that you can scare politicians and that's why they don't have to do that if they were and they they could leverage that power it'd be different Black Lives Matter has a potential to do that but they don't believe in the system so they're not pushing for anyone to vote or trying to get anyone to vote so if you don't have that hanging over your head and you don't have money they don't really have to panic to you too much Right. And it's so sad. It's so sad because I yeah. believe that we should all be civically engaged. And there's so many people who died just so I can vote, especially as a black woman, a black woman. So um, it, it's, it's it's sad that the point that we have come to. So, okay. guys, we do have to start like moving this thing forward a little bit more. So I want to get Tim Kaine because we were talking Tim about Kane, him. What about Bill Clinton? We skipped right well, over him. Well, that was so important because he humanized Hillary. So he made her seem like a real person, not a character. I mean, he meant he for some. <laughs> Because I'll tell you right now, a lot of people didn't really was like Bill Clinton's one of my favorite politicians ever. So I always have a different point of view of like him than other people. Most people didn't like his speech. Well, at least most people who didn't like Clinton's didn't like the speech because it didn't do anything for them. So right. it's speaking to that group that was already like for Clinton doesn't or doesn't have an issue with Clinton. But you said well, most people who don't like them, right? There's a whole bunch of people who are neutral, not not like neutral, neutral, but like don't necessarily like them, but don't necessarily dislike them. That, again, was who those people that speech was aimed at all the people who think that Hillary is some cartoon character that isn't even a real person this was an attempt to say you know this is a woman well, and also to show her career and all the things that she's done for like the Children Defense Fund being a public defender running legal aid clinics to actually like go through the 40 years of her life and her career I mean Hillary has basically had a very similar career path to the one that I am trying to forge for myself you know and, and uh, you know I say this with not necessarily loving her 100% but you know, like I started out as a public defender working, doing civil rights work. Like it was nice to see the generous genesis of her career. So from you're Leslie Nope is what you're saying. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it was needed. We did need to humanize her. And I think Chelsea Clinton also did a good job at doing that because, I mean, 
Hillary Clinton even acknowledged it on stage. She's been kind of like secretive, kind of guarded. You don't really know who she is. I mean, when it comes to like the core, and she's not really like that charismatic, charming speaker that President Obama is, or Michelle or her, Obama, or, or, or like Trent, or Bill Clinton. And she's not also very transparent. So we did need, you know, those people to speak for her and to say like, hey, she's right. a mother and a wife. She's. I mean, it's been said about her that she's the workhorse, not the show horse, right? That she's not the natural politician that Bill Clinton her her husband is and he is he's a natural charismatic you know public figure so let's let's kind of like speed through these next two ones out of question so what did you guys think about Tim McCain's speech oh it was excellent I it thought was, it was an, weird I think he's I awkward, awkward but I thought the speech was still good I, I liked President Obama and yeah. Joe Biden's speeches better yeah. yeah but I like President Obama and Joe Biden yeah. and I don't you know I haven't warmed up to Tim Kaine as much as um, I think I will over the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. But I do think strategically now looking at how tight the race is going to be in the swing states, it made more sense to pick Tim Kaine than it did to pick Elizabeth Warren, much to the disagreement of the left flank. Yeah. Ooh. I think I'm sorry. I didn't know if Stanley agreed or disagreed. Sorry. Well, no, like, yeah, like politically, it makes make the perfect sense. He's okay. in the state where the governor's Democrats so are going to appoint a Democrat like person to replace him. He, he kind of gets those Rust Belt folks over there and he's bilingual and he has experience, whereas Castro didn't have experience, didn't even speak Spanish. Not well. Yeah, but not you know well what enough. I will say is because I know that you want to move along just to talk about the president for a second. You know, a lot of people have. Um, this is a, what I think is a, a good showing that the president is becoming more and more popular as his term starts to come to a close because uh, there was a time where Hillary didn't want to be Obama 3.0, right? Yeah. And now after their long embrace and his endorsement of her being able to continue his policies and continue his legacy, um, you know, that really shows how much the polls have turned around and people mm-hmm. now really are starting to come around and realize that Obama ha- really has done a good job. And so I think that's smart in her way to start to tack towards Obama, but that is also risky because we don't know what's going to happen in the next few months. And if something goes really bad and people are blaming it on Obama, that's going to reflect poorly on Hillary because she's aligned herself so closely to him. So that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. No, that definitely is. In Joe Biden's speech, so once again, another great speech, another emotional speech. He went off the he went off the script too, which is pretty cool. When he was like, "Guys, no, seriously, listen to me for one second. <laughs> he totally went off script, and that was very awesome. But I thought the best speech, and of course, it was the best speech, was from President Barack Obama. And now, before you guys react to this, I was talking to a friend about this, and you could just tell like the different level of skills by the days. And everyone gave great speeches, but when they hit the Joe Biden and then. Barack Obama and then Bill Clinton, it was an entirely different level of skill. Like you, you could you right. could feel the difference automatically. Right. Like the crowd was electric. They just those those guys just get it. So what what was your what did you think about Obama's speech, Selena? Oh, it it was riveting as well. It was very up tempo, very optimistic in tone, very you know what, guys, the country's not gonna come to an end. Better days are ahead, and Hillary Clinton is the one that's gonna lead us there. I need you to come out for Hillary like you did for me, and everything's gonna be roses and rainbows. I mean, that's how I listen, felt. Listen, Obama's the great orator. I thought his speech was great. I loved it. Um, you know, I already expressed the how that could hurt or help Hillary uh, in my last comment but um, I will say it was also sort of bittersweet for me yeah, knowing that I mean, this definitely. is one knowing that Obama's presidency is coming to an end after eight years and going wow that went fast and two just seeing him making his what's probably his last national public speech yeah. um, you know that was kind of a sad moment for me too 
That was yeah. Same. I would I would agree with you guys. So um guys, I, we do want to start wrapping the conversation up, but I do have a small piece of the president's speech that I did want to play for you guys, kind of contrasting him, um Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, which I thought was a important, but then b kind of funny the fact that he had to do it and like that people might still not kind of like be like completely sold on Hillary. That's how deep the dislike for her is. So here is the clip right here. Ronald Reagan called America a shining city on a hill. Donald Trump calls it a a divided crime scene that only he can fix. It doesn't matter to him that illegal immigration and the crime rate are as low as they've been in decades because he's not actually offering any real solutions to those issues. He's just offering slogans. And he's offering fear. He's betting that if he scares enough people, he might score just enough votes to win this election. And that's another bet that Donald Trump will lose. So, guys, that was a clip coming from President Obama. And what he was doing was drawing like a very clear contrast between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And... You know, for all of the talk that we've had about these great speeches and these great feelings we've had, it's really about the kind of America that you want to live in or you want your children or your grandchildren to live in. And, and, and that's why I think there's so, the stakes are so high in this particular election. So having said that, having heard all these speeches now, let's talk about Hillary Clinton and the speech that she gave. So I want to jump to Jackie, actually, because she gave some really cool comments earlier today about the speech. So, Jackie, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, and I expressed before what I thought the... Um you know, the bad parts of her speech were what she omitted that I thought she should have included. I thought that her speech went well. I think seeing the reaction of people that maybe didn't like her as much, um, but now feel more of a connection towards her is good. Um, You know, I watched the speech with my mom and despite the way that I felt about it was despite how you feel about Hillary and her individual policies, it's just cool to me to see a woman accept this role and this nomination and be this close to the presidency as a woman. It's just, that's cool. Regardless of how you feel about her or her politics, I am just, I'm amazed by this and it's not something I necessarily ever thought I was going to see in my lifetime. And I am, I'm just pleased to see that in and of itself. Um, and it was a sort of special moment to watch with my mother. Um, but I, I think that she did a really good job. I know I spoke to someone who was voting for her because he felt that he had to, not because he liked her and felt that after the speech, he felt like she was humanized more and that he's voting for her more because he likes her now than ever before. I mean, yeah, no, I agree. I thought her speech was good, although I was surprised that her speech was actually fairly liberal compared to some, like Obama sort of paved the road for her to take sort of a middle ground and I feel like in the speech she was also playing to that left flank that we've been talking about throughout this segment Um, and a lot of people have said that they were surprised that the speech was more liberal than it was moderate but Putting policy aside, I would agree with Jackie completely. It definitely is, um, as a, a young, you know, young female um, who's interested in politics and who's been very involved in activism and who might want to run for office, it definitely was very hopeful and optimistic to me to finally be like, oh my God, there's actually a woman up there, and like not even, you know, like she had some great, like like she said, like all issues are women's issues, and I think the most important line in the speech was that not only does this break the glass ceiling for women, but it breaks the glass ceiling for men. And that is true. There's been studies right. that do that have been done on that showing that the more opportunities women have 
to get ahead actually makes it so that everybody has more opportunities to get in the get ahead. In fact, um, the in the show Woman, which is on Vice, uh, one of the great lines in the beginning is, "If you want to look at the status of the world, you have to look at the status of women in the world." So I think that's really important, especially when you have countries like Pakistan and India that have had women prime ministers uh, before, and you look at a country like America, which is supposed to be about freedom and equal protection of law and equality, um, and yet we've never ever had a woman president in 240 years. So I think that's that's really um, important, the historical nature. And I think she did a good job on the speech in making the case why people should vote for her, but also in humanizing herself. Um, you know, it's one thing to have Bill Clinton humanize her. It's another thing for her to be able to be like, listen, this is what I've done in my career. My mm-hmm. whole career is has been about this. And also, more importantly, to acknowledge that she's good at the service part, but sometimes she's not so good at the public part, because I think She's looked at so much as somebody who's fake, mm-hmm. right, and, and as a character, as a cartoon. And to be able to acknowledge that there's something you're not good at it and be self-reflecting and express to other people that you have a flaw is what makes you human. So oh. we do have a call on the line, so I'm going to have to oh, okay. have you hold for one second. Ms. Zebra, let your voice be heard. Hi, guys. Listen, you know, I was listening to everything, but there's one thing I want you to go back to. As time goes on, I'm starting to hear people talk about Oh, we have to build new bridges and, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, roads and this and that, you know, like, and I'm thinking, like, I remember President Obama when he first started out. And in my mind, I really heard somebody who knew that the country was like in a shamble and he really wanted America to more or less wanted to modernize it. But nobody wanted to hear that. And so while they were having a celebratory lunch, they were having a lunch stating that they would never do anything to work with him. So while people talk about what uh, a president he could have been but wasn't, people have to continue to remember that Congress would not work with him. They even gave them themselves a cute little name, the Party of No. And even afterward, they thought it was cute. So when you start to see things that maybe might start to come up, you remember that this job bill that they had, it was already paid for. The president came on, I think it was on in September of 2010, and he said it's already, you know, set up. The only thing Congress has to do is sign it. And I remember John Boehner saying maybe like last year, he said, no, we didn't sign it. And we're not going to sign it. Thank you so much for that, Ms. Deborah. That's 100% true. We should never forget just how much and how hard Congress worked to obstruct President Obama. And Hillary Clinton, whether she's going to do the things we want her to or not, can't get it done unless we have people who are willing to do work. Selena? No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I just want to thank again, Ms. Deborah, for calling in. If anyone else wants to chime in, the number is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. We appreciate those tweets. But, I mean, you know, just to get back to, to the question that you um, asked all of us earlier, um, I thought that the video... I think that the video that played before Hillary came to speak um, was excellent, right? Tim Kaine also had a video, and so did President Obama. And I think that the DNC did a good job in incorporating digital technology and video technology to really show who these people are. Like, we are such a visual YouTube generation. And it's like, I did not mind watching those 10-minute clips that were, uh, that were like pretty much like a montage, like a dramatic montage of who they are. And I thought it was excellent. Um, but I, I feel like the question is, like, 
did the DNC, did Hillary's speech do enough to sway voters? And I think that when it came to the, the, the Bernie or bus crowd, not really. Um, I've been, I was talking to some people who were infuriated after Hillary spoke and they were like, what are you, like, because again, I don't want to keep, you know, um, talking about the Black Lives Matter, but they were like, she's not speaking to me. This is exactly why I'm not voting for her. Now, I don't know if that just played up into their own bias or if the speech, in their opinion, just didn't resonate with them. But I will say this, in, in contrast to what Jackie and Alyssa were talking about, about, you know, seeing the, having Hillary Clinton become the first woman to uh, potentially become president and to win the nomination and how it resonates with them, I thought that it was going to be more moving for me, but it didn't. It's, it's still like, and I understand how she's like, you know, uh, combating that glass ceiling as this woman. But I saw a lot of people on Twitter and even it, it, that reflected how I felt where they were like, OK, yeah, but she's still a white woman. And that privilege means it does it does really come into play. Whereas when you had President Obama, that spoke to me more because it was like, OK, that could be me. So but I can never see myself as Hillary Clinton. I'm going to say something a bit jarring. And I think the big reason of why this wasn't you don't feel like it was as much of your victory as it was for, like, white women. White women got the right to vote in 1920. You know when black women got the right to vote? 1964. Right. Mm-hmm. No, and that that yeah. is an excellent point. And I, excellent I feel point. like... But, yeah. Yeah, but, but, like, so this brings me into the train comment, right? And this is exactly what the train comment is about. So last... Sorry, not last night. Friday night, uh, Cornell West, who's a big Bernie supporter, who's not a very much a fan of Hillary, mm-hmm. was on Bill Maher. Um, and Bernie was on Bill Maher that night, too. And you should go watch the whole episode because it's really great. And they were having this conversation about who to vote for and about whether or not to sit one out, right? And or to, you know, go in the other direction. And essentially, the way Bill Maher put it was this. You're at a train station right here in LA. You want to go to San Francisco. There's a wedding up there. You got to get there. There's one train that goes to San Francisco, but it's going a little slower than you want. Obviously, the Bernie train is the express train and and the Hillary train is the slower train. Um, There's one other train leaving, but it's not going to San Francisco. It's going to hell. And he's obviously talking about the Donald Trump train. And then he walked it back and he said, that's not fair. It's not going to hell. It's going to San Diego, which is a lovely slitty, but it's not where you want to go. You want to go to San Francisco. The only other train is going in the opposite direction. Do you get on the train that's going in the direction you want to go, but slower, or do you go to San Diego? And that's what this election is about. You know what? I wanted to go to San Francisco on the Express Bernie train, but the Express Bernie train is not running in November. So... I have the option. I can get on the train to San Diego or I can get on the slower train to San Francisco. Guess what? I'm going to San Francisco, guys. On a slow train. So, guys, we do have another caller on there. I want to let Haji let his voice be heard very quickly. Haji? Okay. Um, you guys are doing a beautiful job, as always. Um, but I want to say I'm hoping that the, uh, the so-called millennials and the progressives in this era will make whoever gets in there accountable in that office because it's about the people not about the the you know it's about the person that's elected but it's more about the people and i'm hoping that the millennials with with black lives matter and all the different organizations will make them accountable thank you thank you and look at that he was so succinct i appreciate that so guys we do have to bring this conversation to a close and there's something that i said in the middle of the segment when i said that the reason that you can just slightly pander to african americans but not really give them too much lip service is because they don't have like strong mobilized voting and advocacy power um some people might hear that and not like it and get frustrated but unfortunately it is the truth and for all you folk out there who see this election and you're not happy because bernie lost and you're ready to quit let me tell you something we are 
living in a world where you have the luxury to get mad and just riff off on Hillary Clinton on Twitter. During the Civil Rights Movement, there were constant moments where people of color, African-American people, had to vote for the lesser of two evils. And both those evils were racist, but one of them at least wouldn't throw the fire hose on you. But they did it because they understood what the bigger picture was. And obviously, I'm not trying to guilt you to make you feel like you had to be back in the Civil Rights Movement. But here is what happens when you fight for something and you lose. In this game that we're in, in politics and advocacy and the fight for social justice, when you lose, you cry, you drink some whiskey, you dust yourself off, and you Keep on fighting because as long as you fight, you can never truly lose. This whole game out here, everything that we're doing, it was never going to be won in one fight. It never happens that way. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And for all you guys who are new to this and you don't understand that, I have nothing to say to you but welcome to the game. This is how it goes. And you may not like the game. Hell, I don't like it most days, but we have to win. And in order to win, we have to keep on fighting. If you want to keep on fighting, meet me in the corner. I'll be there protesting, yelling, signing petitions, making phone calls, and marching. Because the only way you make change is to demand it and fight for it, not to quit when the going gets tough. So with that being said, guys, we're going on a quick break. When we get back, we'll be having a conversation about ISIS. Because even though they're not on your block, they are hurting a lot of people who look just like you. This is... This is- the remix for the city, let's just start.